welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Corey. And I'm Shanik. And we're so glad that you are joining us again on this Wednesday as we discuss some hot topics around deconstruction. But if you haven't left a review, please do so already. We've gotten a ton of feedback. It's super encouraging. And we love hearing how this has impacted your life. Yeah, we've gotten some incredible reviews lately. And so we appreciate that. Also, we would love for you to share uh, this podcast with a friend. So Do text it. it out, share it. We Do love it, that. share it, put it on your socials, text it to a friend, leave a review if you haven't already. We appreciate that. Question of the week. Yeah, question of the week is, what is your favorite Christmas meal? You I, go first. Oh, it's my mom's French toast. It's baked French toast. It takes like 24 hours to make. It's got this thin layer of crunchy syrup, brown sugar. It It's delicious, but it we only delicious. ever have it on Christmas morning. It's like our Christmas tradition. Yeah. So I'm, well, I'm you know making, I'm a dessert guy, so that sounds oh, like a heavenly it's, dessert. It's breakfast dessert. I would say for me, and just because I only get something once a year as well, and that is my mom's potato rolls. And I don't really know how she makes them, but we get them at Christmas Day, and they are fluffy right out of the oven, and honestly, they are fire. They're so good. Do you good. eat them plain or butter or apple butter? Oh, I put a little butter on them. A little butter? A little butter on there. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? So... You know, speaking of us going through this um, series on deconstruction, we thought it would be great, and I thought it would be good if we just spent a little bit of time just talking about how we need to deconstruct the violence that we see in the Old Testament. Man, so this is a heavy, heavy topic. It I is. hope that you stay with us. We're going to unpack a lot here. I do want to be sensitive on this topic because you could read into some of the things that you think that we're saying. Now, Here's the preface. We are going to help you decide for yourself that there are some things that we believe that you should question in the Old Testament, specifically around this idea of violence, because I am personally convinced that if we didn't even have the Old Testament scriptures, which are really actually called the Hebrew scriptures, if we didn't have this, I don't think that anybody in the world would struggle with how God really is, because what we see in Jesus oftentimes is very different than the God that we see in the Old Testament. But Jesus, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the author of Hebrews, Jesus is the full representation of not only who God is, but who God has always been. Yeah. And Jesus that, even says that about himself. It if is. you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Jesus is the full revelation of God, then when we read violence in the Old Testament, we should question them, especially when they're like, hey, God said to do this or God did that. I'm encouraging you to question that. I think it's okay to question that. I think that you should have some safe people around you to talk about that, to really struggle and wrestle. Did God really say that? Or did someone have a misunderstanding of God and then use God as the outlet to continue their nationalistic violence that they portrayed on everybody else that wasn't Israelites. And because, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, everything that he does is anti-violent. Even Isaiah 53, 9 says that the Messiah himself would do no violence. It was a prophetic picture that Jesus wasn't a violent guy. And whenever you say that, you'll always have someone say, well, Jesus flipped over tables. Okay. Well, you misunderstand what that whole thing is about. And we're not going to dive right. into that. Yeah. But, I will say very quickly that Jesus cared about how certain people were treating other people. Yeah. And that's why yeah, those, he did that. He flipped over tables because people were... Taking advantage. Taking advantage and people. abusing the temple system of sacrifice. And he didn't do violence towards people. He just flipped over some tables. He whipped some he whipped some lambs to make them impure because you could only sacrifice pure animals. There's a whole other prophetic picture with that. But yeah, when you look at the life of Jesus, he is 
always anti-violent, always rebuking his disciples for wanting to do violence, which we're going to touch on in a second. Even Brian Zahn says it this way, reading the Bible without the spirit of Jesus is a veiled and death-dealing reading of Scripture. Right. And speaking of veiled, of course, Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians 3 and even talks about how like when the Old Testament is read, when Moses is read, that a veil covers the people. A veil remains over people's eyes when the Old Covenant is read. And what is the veil? It keeps people from seeing God clearly. Mm. That's why actually Jesus rebukes uh, Peter in the moment when they're out on Mount Transfiguration and he hears a voice and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And in that moment, um, you know, Elijah appeared, Jesus is white. Um, they're on this, they're on Jesus this. Jesus is white? What? Well, Jesus is like oh, shining. He's, he's like shining. He's like, shining. Yeah, he's bright white. <laughs> Sorry. Like, That's what? why the transfiguration. That's why it's called that. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Moses and Elijah is there. And so Peter, though, says, man, we need to build three tabernacles to celebrate yep. this and like camp out here. And that's when, you know, God does say, this is my son. Listen to him as a picture of saying, look, the Moses and Elijah is a picture of, you know, um, the a law and the prophets. The prophets. Yeah. And hey, no, this isn't what you need to establish your life on. No, it's Jesus. Listen to him. And, and even alone. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Even he says in John five. Uh, Jesus even challenged the Pharisees saying, well, you search the scriptures, right? The Hebrew scriptures, mm -hmm. because you think that in them, they will give you eternal life. But he says, those same scriptures actually point to me. Yeah. I'm eternal life in your presence right now. Think about how blasphemous that was in that moment. Right. And a lot of people, this is where a lot of people are today is they'll sit on the Bible and say the Bible trumps everything. But that's why we say something that if, if you're not paying attention to, you, you might just miss but Jesus trumps what the Bible has to say. Dilling, dilling, who's, is that your phone? Not on oh vibration. Gosh. Yeah, I usually turn it on airplane mode. Figure it out, there bud. There you go. Anyway, so for me, I am personally anti-violent in every, every category. And we can talk about this and we can debate. But specifically around religion and the culture of religion is when you weaponize a religion, it gives you a holy reason or just cause to hate and murder other human beings. The irony that many people have to the problem of violence is that my violence is always good, your violence is bad, or I have a justified reason for my violence, your reason for your violence are just excuses. Yeah, just a few quotes with that. Richard Murray, he says, Saul of Tarsus was a biblical literist who weaponized scriptures to justify killing Christians. Crazy. Saul worshiped the book. Paul, though, worshiped the Christ. Stephen Crosby says something similar when he says, for Saul of Tar Tarsus to see Jesus for who he is and become Paul the apostle, his commandment to his, his commitment or his commitment to his understanding of scripture had to die. Crazy. C.S. Lewis said, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to him. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken or used as weapons. And then lastly, Michael Harden, he offers a lot of thought-provoking ideas around our love of violence, really, and a violent God when he says, the story of the Bible tells, uh, the story the Bible tells is how God and Jesus entered the cultural religion of sacred violence, suffered its most horrible side effects, and revealed that the mechanism is ungodly and doomed. Only two things have the power to create reconciliation and unity, violence and love. This is why it's so difficult for us to give it up. 
If we give up violence or the threat of violence, whether divine or human, we fear that our world will come apart. And as scary as it may sound, this is the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world. Jesus has to come save us from the deadly infection of community building and maintenance dependent upon victims. In other words, he has come to save us from the world we humans have created. Yeah. And so before we give you permission to question certain parts of the Bible, let's unpack and understand the progressive revelation of God. And we talked about this briefly in episode 39 or 34 when we talked about how to read the Bible. This We're not talking about progressive, like the hot topic that it is today. We're talking about the progressive revelation of God, which means there are certain aspects that God progressively revealed about himself over the context of the writings of the scriptures so that right. people would have a better understanding of God. For example, we're going to give you a lot of examples here, so hold tight. Abraham and Isaac, right? Have you ever thought about how asinine it was that Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain to kill him because he believed that God told him to kill his only son? Like, have we really ever wrestled with that? Why did Abraham not bat an eye at the request? Right. Why? Because most people don't understand the culture and context that Abraham grew up with and the gods that he worshiped. Remember, Abraham grew up with the god Melech and many others that required firstborn child sacrifice. So for God of the Bible to ask Abraham to sacrifice his firstborn son, that was common. That was expected to worship when, when you worshiped a God. So he didn't even bat an eye. He just, okay, this is what this God requires. I'm going to go do it. Yet, what does God do in the midst of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac? Right. He stops him. And then for the first time in the entire history of the Bible, he is known as Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. And he provides right. the ram of the thicket right. so that Abraham can produce the sacrifice. And many people miss this revelation that hap happens in this moment between Abraham and Isaac. God reveals to Abraham that he is nothing like the gods that Abraham grew up with. And that is so important to understand because never before in the history of gods that they worshiped did they know that they had a God who provide. Right. And so, that's the way he chose to reveal himself in that moment. Yeah. I'm nothing like these gods. Like, you don't have to fear me. I'm a relationship-based God who doesn't require sacrifice. So up until that point, no one knew that God was a provider. He hadn't provided anything. But now the Israelites have this story from Abraham, and they know that God is a God who provides. That's why they expect manna to fall from the desert, right? It, it's a miracle that happens, but they know this God to be a God who provides, so they're not shocked by it. They just believe God to be a provider. But you know what they don't have a revelation of God as? As healer. Hmm. So when people start getting sick in the desert, because millions of people were out wandering in the desert for however many years, 40, 70, whatever the, the number is, God starts performing miracles and healing people. And for the first time, we hear a name attached to God called Rapha. Mm -hmm. He is now Jehovah Rapha. What does Jehovah Rapha mean? The God who heals. And so God was progressively revealing attributes of who he is and what he's all about. So the Israelites, they knew he was, God was a provider. Now they know God is a healer. And for the rest of history, we know God as a provider and a healer. And this happens all throughout the scriptures. Right. It does. And I know like even, um, even when it pertains to, uh, a census that David takes in second Samuel 24, that actually says that it's the anger of God Mm -hmm. that incites David to take a census. But then later on, several hundred years later, when the book of Chronicles is written in First Chronicles 21.1, it says that save, Satan is the one who mm -hmm. uh, incites David to take the census. So, census. so which one is it? Was mm -hmm. it God or was it Satan? 
And so here we even see that it's another place where people finally got a better revelation of who God is and other places where God said he didn't want David to take a census. Well, God wouldn't change his mind on that. So it wasn't the anger of God in that moment. So mm-hmm. that's when they identified it to Satan. Yeah. And so it's just another, another avenue where, yeah, God has slowly been revealing himself throughout the Old Testament, you know, in, in new ways, in progressive you ways. You have to remember that, again, in the early Hebrew scriptures, the context and culture, those people believed that good and evil was attributed to God. So God oftentimes got the blame for anything that happened because that was their limited perspective of God. So, yeah, when they penned that in 2 Samuel, they just believed that good and bad happened from God. So, yeah, God caused David to do this because he was angry at David. But no, 400 years later, they have a better understanding because God is progressively revealing himself to the people that penned these Hebrew scriptures that they changed it. And, And Bart Ehrman will talk about how this is a contradiction. This is a blatant contradiction. Well, this is not a blatant contradiction when you understand the progressive revelation of God. If you want to talk about contradictions, we I can tell you, show you a hundred other places where there are blatant contradictions, not just here. Right. And I think, you know, and I, and I think another great one, though, is with Elijah, yeah. because I he, he's on Mount Carmel and I've been there. I actually wanted to go up and kind of see where this story takes place. And right, Elijah on Mount Carmel, he calls down fire, right, and kills a ton of like prophets of Baal, mm-hmm. uh, worshiping a false god. And in this moment, like it's a it's a significant piece of Jewish history. Like there's a big statue there. Really? Like they to go, this day? Oh, to this day. There's a uh, a big like mausoleum thing. Like Jews, Christians alike, they'll go there and just to reflect in the moment of what happened out at Mar- Mount Carmel. Hmm. And when we don't even think about how, man, in this moment, he was calling down fire to kill a bunch of people. But we get to, though, the New Testament and Jesus and James and John, right, were we're going through ministering. They weren't welcomed in a town. And basically they said, can we call down fire on this town? And in this moment, man, Jesus like rebukes them. Like, do you not know what spirit I'm of? Yeah. Why would you think that that's okay? Well, all they're doing is going back when Elijah did it. So if Elijah did it, why can't we do it? Yeah. And so again, quoting the old Testament, right. And here, yeah, they were, (laughs) they were just following the old Testament, but here Jesus was showing no, that's not my heart and nature, and it's not my dad's either. Yeah. And we're not doing that. Ooh, you just said something good. That's not my heart, and it's not my dad's either. Why, why is that? Why can we say that? Because Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. Yep. So Jesus is the full revelation of God. He's who God has always been and always will be and always has been. Therefore, if Jesus rebukes his disciples for misquoting the Old Testament and trying to do stuff that Elijah did, then maybe there are things that we have misquoted because we think that God caused or did violence towards other people. And the last example we'll share is one that we actually shared in episode 34. You got James 2, 23. He, he and uh, Romans 4, 2 through 3 both quote Genesis 15, 6. James writes from a perspective that is limited where Paul writes from the full revelation of Jesus. James is influenced by Jewish thought. Paul is influenced by grace. And they say different things even though they're quoting the same passage of Scripture. So this is why it is super important that when we recognize progressive revelation, we should ask the question, okay? And these are just questions that I'm encouraging you to ask. So was God ever actually violent towards people? Did God really command genocide? Did God really tell the Israelites to smash babies against the rock, which he did in in the book of Psalm? Is God as evil as he is portrayed in the Old Testament? 
if a preacher, theologian, translator, or even scriptures say that God said and then pours forth violence and hatred, can we be so bold as to say that doesn't look like Jesus and there is no way that God would ever want us to even believe it? Right. It doesn't look like Jesus. You know, Christians, they they tend to interpret and cherry pick the Bible apart from Jesus and use it. And when they do that, it brings shame and guilt and condemnation, or, or they'll use it to justify violence. But mm-hmm. ultimately, we have to stop elevating the Bible over Jesus, that the two aren't the same. You know, shockingly, Jesus trumps the Bible. And unfortunately, many Christians worship the Bible instead of the real, authentic, and loving God that is progressively revealed in the Bible and is fully revealed in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And I say all this because uh, Jesus is the word, according to John one, and the word became flesh. So we must read scripture through the lens of Jesus to determine what God is like and what he's not like. Yeah. You can't turn ultimately to Hebrew scriptures to know exactly what God is like. Only Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. For example, God doesn't desire infant killing and genocide, what you just said. Yet, according to the prophet in Samuel, first uh, Samuel 15, three, God commands it. Yeah. Now, I don't believe God told him to do it because it doesn't line up to the character of God revealed to us in Jesus. And, and I think Samuel's like war loving uh, culture and nationalistic viewpoint of God caused him possibly to operate outside or opposite of the spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus reveals to us who God is and who he's always been. This is according to Hebrews 1.13, Colossians 1.15, Colossians 2.9, John 14.9, John 10.30, 1 John 1, 1 through 2, and 2 Corinthians 4.6. So either Samuel got it wrong or Jesus did. Maybe we didn't hear from an angry God. Maybe we just heard from an angry prophet. And that is very important because what you just explained, that whole thing in Samuel, Here's an actual contradiction, if people want to talk about contradictions. Either Samuel is wrong or Jesus is wrong, but they both can't be right. One paints God as commanding genocide, the other does not. You have to wrestle with that Hmm. because you have to reject one of them. You you have to. We cannot look at these and, and say that there's no contradiction here. Samuel either operated outside of the character of God and commanded genocide, which is crazy. And he did so by saying, using and abusing his authority as a prophet of God, or Jesus got it wrong. And I'm going to always err on the side of Jesus, like not getting it wrong. Or what about this idea from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 58 through 63? that God finds pleasure in destroying the obedient. That's what it says. God finds pleasure in destroying the disobedient. Again, when you line this up with the idea, uh, or when you line this idea up with the character of God revealed to us in Jesus, it's easy to reject. Why? Because you can put it in its proper context. 1 John 4, 8 claims that God is love. So Ezekiel, who didn't have the full revelation of God, even rejects this idea in Ezekiel 18:32 when he pens for God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. So here's another contradiction. Right. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says that God finds pleasure in destroying the disobedient. Ezekiel 18:32 says God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. So either Moses, who scholars believe wrote Deuteronomy, got it wrong, or Ezekiel got it wrong, or John got it wrong who lines up with Ezekiel. 
but both can't be true. And so this is why this is such an important conversation in deconstruction is because you actually have to come face to face with Old Testament violence. Right. And I, I, I want to put this in there too. And I want to ask this question because I know some of our listeners might be having this question right now. Yep. Does this make then the Bible somehow uninspired, non-inspired or untrue? Absolutely not. Yep. That's not what we're saying. These undeniable facts don't diminish or minimize the full inspiration of scripture in the slightest. Rather, the only thing these facts hurt is our misunderstanding of what the inspiration of scripture actually is, which was to show us who God is, was, and always will be. I love it. Michael Harding says this, nothing irks some folks more than losing a God who is wrathful, angry, retributive, and punishing. This is only because we want so much to believe that God takes our side, the side that is inevitably right, hmm. because we take the side of violence, and we want God to be as angry and as violent as we are. Yeah. So if people want to further this study yeah. and possibly read, get some resources, what, what 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 do we have for them? Yeah. So there's a lot. Okay. And it might not be fair to in a 25-minute podcast right. to unpack all this, because this might be like shocking for some of you that we just literally lined up two contradictions and said one of them has to be false. That might be a lot for you to take. Again, I'm glad that you talked about that inspiration piece because I still, I, I love the Bible more than ever today, right. but I love to dissect it too. And I think it's so important that we elevate Jesus over everything, everything. And the life of Jesus shows us how to love and live in a world that, that disagrees, that has a lot of violence. And so if you are curious about how to read the Bible and how to make sense of Old Testament violence, again, there's a lot of great reading. You have um, Irresistible. I think that's the starting point. And I know that yeah. started us kind of on this journey. What? And Is this book? Irresistible. Or Irresistible by Andy yeah, Stanley. Yeah, Andy Stanley. Yeah. And I think that's a great starting point. Great starting point. It, it didn't start my journey. It just, that was like one of the books I read in the, 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 the book that, that started my journey was three books. Disarming Scripture by Derek Flood, uh, Cross Vision by Gregory Boyd, and The Bible Made Impossible by Christian Smith. Those three books really did it for me, so I'd encourage you. And then Irresistible, once I had language and understanding and really wrestled with it for a couple of years, Irresistible was super easy for me to read, and it was just like, bam, like this all makes yeah. sense. So for me, just to let the let the listeners know, I did read Cross Vision as well, and I found that a little bit difficult it's to very pick difficult. up right away. So that's why I think, for me, Irresistible was such a big help because yeah. it's, it's put very... Um, simply. Yeah. You know, so very, so you know. Gregory Boyd, Christian Smith, and even this one, The Bible Tells Me So by Dr. Uh, Peter Eanes, those are very academic level uh, books. It might be really, I don't want to assume that people are, are dumb or super smart. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. That. It's just very high level. Um, they don't often make it easy. Those are great academic level books. The Bible Tells Me So by Dr. Peter Eanes, The Bible Made Impossible by Christian Smith, and Cross Vision by Gregory Boyd. Disarming Scripture is easier to read. I loved it, but my wife also read it and was like, man, this is hard to read too. That one's my favorite out of all of them, Disarming Scripture by Derek Flood. Irresistible, you said by Andy Stanley, is probably one of the easiest ones. And then there's a real simple read, but super challenging. And it's Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible by Keith Giles. And that one we did as a book study with a whole bunch of guys, and there were a lot more questions than answers, which in my opinion, I'm getting to the place where I think life is about having more questions than it is about having answers. 
Yeah. And I think that's good. And I just want to say for our listeners out there, um, maybe you have a few questions. You can reach out to us, ask yeah. us. Um, also, uh, we do hope that today, I know it's only 25, 30 minute episode and we 25. put a lot in it. And so, um, you might so have we to listen to it multiple you might times. have to listen to it a couple of times, but we also realize that this might just start you on a journey and this is an all encompassing uh, view on everything, you mm-hmm. know, that you might want to know. And so, but I think the journey is good and you need to be asking questions like you just said. And I think that would be great. The journey is good, but the journey is difficult. I don't want to like sugar it up and like, this is easy. This is years of yeah. contemplating. This is years of thinking, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me that I'm questioning these certain things? Or am I allowed to question these things? Right? Cause I grew up in a, in a context where it was like, you can't question the Bible at all. And to disagree with certain portions of the Bible, that sounds like a heretic, right? right. Like I, I get it. I get your, your reservation if you might have. But if you would allow the Spirit to just reveal to you things of Jesus and always come back to Jesus, you will always be in a safe place. It might be difficult and it might seem like you're not in a safe place, but Jesus is, man, he is what blows everything out of the water for me. He's what I interpret the Bible through is you have to look through the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Because if you don't, there is a lot of contradiction in, well, the God of the Old Testament just doesn't line up with Jesus. And I think Jesus expects us as 21st century American believers to pick up on that and to do our due diligence to be, man, maybe, maybe, yeah, I love what you said. Maybe we didn't hear from an angry God. Maybe we heard from an angry prophet. Because there's days where I relate a lot to the book of Psalms when there are so many emotional roller coaster ride where David's up high in the mountains and he's down the valleys and he's like, man, I just want to die someday. I get that. I realize that. But man, if we can just always focus and look on Jesus, it's easy to deconstruct some things. But it's not an easy process. Right. So that's it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you have a great week. And with that, just know you're loved and there's nothing you can do about it.